Hi, I'm John Stevens. This is Matt Russell. And this is Pod Have Mercy. This is Pod Have Mercy. Well, Matt, you're in for a treat today. Every week with you is a treat, John Stevens. Well, that's so sweet <laughs> of you to say that. Um, have you ever met Will Willimon? No, I've, I've only been exposed to him through um, his books. He's only written over 100 books. Yeah. Someone told me he's never had a thought he has not published. That's, that's probably true. <laughs> and actually, some of the books that he's written have become key yeah. texts for pastoral ministry, mm-hmm. but also in, in academia. I mean, some are just like, if you're a pastor, you have to have them on your shelf, especially if you're a Methodist pastor. Mm-hmm. Will, um, of course, started out in the ministries from South Carolina. He was called in the ministry, served small churches, but then he he became the dean of Duke Chapel wow. uh, for many years. Wow, 20, 20 or 30 years, maybe, he was the dean of the chapel. Oh, I didn't recognize, I uh, didn't realize that. I think 20 years, Wow, at least, and is considered like one of the best preachers, yeah, pulpiteers that, yeah. that we've seen in Methodist church, but even in a lot of churches. He's yeah. uh, He was also elected as a bishop in, I think, 2004, and he served North Alabama Conference in Birmingham. Wow. So he's, he's kind of done. Now he's a retired bishop, which means uh, that he can pretty much get away with whatever in the world he wants to, but that's never stopped him before anyway. So I'll just say <laughs> as, we, as we have this conversation with Will... I'm going to go ahead and ask you to put on your seatbelts, <laughs> put your tray tables in the upright position, because I I know Will and uh, there's there's always going to be a little be some something. Turbulence. There's going to be something that will shock or offend. If you're not shocked or offend a little bit, but I'll tell you, if you listen all the way to everything he has to say, you might be shocked and you might be offended, but you will find some mm. gospel truth in mm. what he says, mm. and it will. It'll really get us thinking about things, I think, in the right way. I'm excited about this. How are you doing? Oh, good. Good. Still I, here? I found a picture of us. I don't know if you if he can show it to you on the Zoom. This is uh, from 2017 when we were in that steakhouse in San Antonio. Oh, man, you got documentation. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. Yeah, it was that was a good night. I'm, 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 you know, if I make it through this pandemic, I will expect to you to take me back to that steakhouse. Well, yeah, but we're and we're not going to San Antonio. We're yeah, we'll bring you to Houston, and we got even better steakhouses here. I bet you could. Make yeah, you got steak. you got some great steakhouses. Oh yeah, that we'll definitely make that happen. Yeah. That's not going to be a problem. Well, hey, thanks a lot for joining us today, and uh, yeah, you know, okay. as I, as I shared with you, we we kind of. We kind of just come and go and free flow and all that sort of stuff. But one of the things I've been re I've started rereading your book from 2000 years ago called resident aliens and mm. with you and Stanley Hauerwas. And it was interesting to me revisiting because there's some themes that were similar. You, you talk a lot about Christians in the world and the kind of that, that what we're supposed to be now back then you, a lot of what you were thinking about was like the religious right rising I'm assuming, but talk to me like the thought process, like you said, the church doesn't have a social strategy. The church is a social strategy. And our only concern is, is how to be the church in the world in what form and what purpose, rather than to worry about whether we are in the world or not. I'm just thinking of all this stuff we're seeing around Christian evangelical, the tie in to politics is so thick now. And I just wonder what your yeah. thoughts are in light of, of the work you've done and conversations around that. Um, you know, your opening comment, I, I don't know that we were, the religious right was on our radar screen at that point. Uh, we did, in fact, we got criticism of the book uh, saying you beat up on the liberal mainline, but you don't seem to have anything to say about the fundies. And, um, uh, we even had, as I remember, a kind of positive rendition of Jerry Falwell's Save a Baby Homes saying, hey, we like this. If you're going to be against abortion, how about putting some money behind it? How about uh, enabling the church? So, um, 
and we confessed we're two mainline, quote, liberal Protestants. And uh, however, we did say uh, to mainline Protestants that uh, that a lot of the church's so-called political involvement was pretty uh, mild stuff and that we make the kind of Hirawasian claim that when the church, when you say to the church, hey, church, say something political, the first thing the church says is church. <laughs> and that uh, being political as a Christian is not being just a little to the right of the Republican Party or a little to the left of the Democratic Party, but it's mainly to create a living, breathing, physical presence, the body of Christ uh, within the world. Uh, that the church is called not to give advice to Congress, but to be a living, breathing political alternative to social arrangements that the world is incapable of producing. And we ride that claim. And um, the, I think that claim is maybe more <laughs> relevant today. Uh, years ago, I was on a panel or a, a, a talk exchange with Jerry Falwell. And Jerry Falwell was saying, uh, we need to get more godly senators elected. We, we, we can uh, make America all it, it's meant to be. And if, if we can just get the right people in high places. And I said, oh, Lord, Jerry, you're, you're not a Baptist. You're a Methodist. Um, that, that was always our line about if we can just get more people like George McGovern in there and up there and you know, and I, I said, you know, Jerry, I, I just think you pay too high a price for that project uh, to be invited to that gathering and in the room there with. And uh, so it, it, it is weird. When I entered the ministry, uh, one of the big, I used to get from time to time feedback about uh, you preachers should stick to saving souls, stay out of politics. I can't stand it when you're political. And I said, uh, look, I'm not being political when I say hateful things about Richard Nixon and Pat. Come on. Uh, I'm speaking anyway. Um, and uh, I, weird, the weird, years ago, I was getting ready for worship at Duke Chapel, and the phone rang in my office. I picked it up, and this voice said, Who's preaching in Duke Chapel this Sunday? And I said, the Reverend Dr. William Willimon is preaching. <laughs> and the voice said, is that that little short fat man? And I, I said, why, why do you ask? And, said, and the person said, I'm a Baptist here in Raleigh, and I just can't take another political sermon from our preacher. And I just, I just can't take it. I, I want to come to church and hear about God. And I held the phone and I thought, Lord, how old am I that a Baptist would come over here to hear this compromised Methodist talk about God? And um, one more thing that's in my mind is Mark Chaves, who's a great sociologist of religion who's at Duke. Uh, I have him visit my intro to ordained leadership classes and he puts up stats of religious trends and uh, it's pretty depressing. And, but the students noted, uh, Dr. Chaves, what is that little dip in church uh, participation that you see there in, I think it was like in the mid eighties or early mid nineties maybe. And uh, he said, you know, that's interesting. We're not really sure, but said my theory is that that dip is due to evangelical conservative Christians that got exhausted by hearing about politics uh, from their pastors. Uh, that was right at the height of the moral majority, Gary Falwell and everything. Well, uh, I predict, you heard it here first, uh, so-called conservative, right-wing uh, evangelicals are going to pay a huge price uh, for the support of Trump. That disillusionment is bound to set in. And 
one sweet Bible-believing soul is going to say, wait, wait a minute, I, three marriages, and uh, uh, isn't that wrong? Uh, uh, or uh, isn't lying still bad? Uh, hmm. You know, and they're clergy. So I am inviting all evangelical clergy to let me show them how to repent for their wrongdoing uh, and, and the stupid things that they've said. And, and some of them are. Unfortunately, their repentance is, it's a little late, but hey, we'll take it. And uh, I've, I've got friends who are leaders of vibrant evangelical churches, and they said, uh, thanks to the Trump supporters, uh, evangelicalism can probably not be used as a term signifying anything into the future. So, uh, so... Just to say, I, what, what I think they should have done is, for instance, a major reason people, evangelicals, tell me that they were absurdly for Trump was abortion. Well, I've been against abortion. Uh, I've got great arguments about it mm -hmm. uh, and all. But as we, ordered, as we argued in Resident Aliens, uh, it's not for the church to make stuff a legislative matter using Congress to cram down the throats of everybody moral uh, positions that we can't even achieve in our own congregations, uh, better for the church to say, how can we build a congregation here hmm. that enables people to make tough choices and supports them on those choices? That doesn't say, for instance, to young women who are pregnant, uh, okay, this is your private personal choice. You do that. Uh, just keep us out of it. Uh, whether you choose to abort or not to abort, uh, we trust you to make but that. That's you. 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 Basically, that's just saying we're not going to take responsibility for helping you make the choice that you want to make or that you feel you should make because you're a Christian. So, uh, resident aliens push that kind of hard. Hmm. Well, I, I mean, it's just. I don't know. It's been it's been hard, and uh, I don't know about you, Matt, but it's like everything. Everybody sees everything, especially in church. It feels like everybody sees everything through ideological lenses, political. It's like U.S. Yeah. politics is this. What somebody said recently: it's this the ubiquity of politics. Politics is everything. I can talk to my wife about the best way to fry chicken, it's and it's going to turn into a political argument. It's 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 going to. I'd like to hear that argument. Uh, the, uh, the the ubiquity of politics. I think that's why when I think about trying to make a political statement in a sermon or whatever, I think it's tough because politics has become the functional equivalent of God. Hmm. And Trump worked that so well, beautifully, to his advantage. And um, so therefore... It, it, politics is the only means of accomplishing good in the world. It's the only means of righteousness. It is what we care so deeply about. So it's hard. I know uh, I preached in Duke Chapel January 10th, uh, and I said to them, you know, it that was after the uh, riots on January the 6th, Epiphany, and... Um, it was before the inauguration, and we weren't sure we could get the Trumps to leave the White House and all. Uh, well, I said to the congregation, you know, what, what I want to do this morning is to assail and call down fire upon the heads of the entire North Carolina congressional delegation of Republicans. And they, they deserve that. Uh, what I want to do this morning is to express some of my anxiety about the survival of bicameral democracy. I'd like to give some advice to Joe, since he's close to my age. Uh, but Mark told me, no, 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 no. Let, let's talk about something important. Uh -huh. Let's talk about the <clears throat> baptism of And I said, what? And I, I said, Mark, if it is true, that people are feeling deep, deeply fearful and anxious. If it is true that people are 
frightened by divisions and worried about the future, all the more reason they need to know who God is. Mm, and what this text is about. Yeah. Come on, let them listen to the voice coming from heaven saying, look at this Jew from Nazareth coming up out of the water. This, it, this is my son. I, I am so pleased with you. And um, so I, I, I stuck with that. I was amazed at the people. I had one person say, well, it would have been good for you to offer some uh, a courageous, insightful comments uh, in the present moment. And I said, anytime Joe wants my advice, you tell him, call me. I'm, 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 I'm. But uh, I had a number of people say, thank you. I, I just, it was great for just a moment to be lifted up out of the mire of the yes. present moment. And, um, you know, what my, my theological hero is Karl Barth, and uh, Barth was criticized yeah. for not saying enough about Hitler uh, He in his sermons. He had a lot to say about him in other settings, and he did mention Hitler uh, not by name, but he said, you know, why should I, I've only got about 30 minutes in a sermon. Why should I waste time talking about a nothing when I could talk about Jesus? And they can't hear about Jesus anywhere but by coming here. And so I've got my hands full the whole time I'm here trying to get them focused. And uh, I think that's what I hope to uh, do. I, mm -hmm. And this preacher told me, uh, you know, if you're not preaching, if you're not speaking out on the insurrection that occurred last week and the the, the hateful and and uh, against Congress, you're not you're not talking about what needs to be talked about. And I said, wow, let me get this straight. You're against an insurrection against the Congress, the Capitol. Wow. How did you learn that was wrong? I mean, did, did, did you have to struggle with that? Or, uh, wow, the courage here. Standing up and condemning an insurrection against an elected government. Wow. I bet that'll come as a shock to your people that you actually are against that. I mean, you're sounding like Lindsey Graham saying, I, I'm sorry, it's gone too far now. I, I, I'm out. I'm out. You know. <laughs> You, yeah, Lindsey you get Graham to make that joke because you're from <laughs> Carolina. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I have said, good ride. <laughs> Texas, I want you guys to introduce me to Ted Cruz. Oh. Because Ted Cruz must be a much better Christian than I am. Uh, because I'm thinking if anybody like call my wife a slut, uh, I, I would be downright violent. I mean, I would be hateful. But Ted, Ted must be the most forgiving person in the world. So I'm sure you know Ted. So I, anyway, if you could just introduce me to Ted, I'd appreciate it. When, when you come down, we'll go we'll have that steaks. steakhouse with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd love to mix it up with Ted a little bit. But anyway, but, the, you know, it's, Matt, you, uh, what do you think? Last time I was in Texas, they had these You're tough. Not even going to uh, they had Ted Cruz, toughest Texas. <laughs> and I said to the people at the church, by the way, uh, it, it, you may not be as tough as Ted Cruz, but I hope you're a little tougher than if someone said that your daddy had caused a murder and that your wife was a woman of ill repute. I, I do hope you'd you'd push back a little bit on that. I, I, I think that would have been okay for Ted to not swallow that, but okay. What were we talking about? We're talking about Jesus. I don't have we got we, on Ted Cruz. Yeah, we Jesus with a smattering of all kinds of other stuff. <laughs> can, can I ask a question? Yeah, yeah. Matt, go ahead. One, one of the things I found interesting in um, something you said is that it reminds me of Christian Wyman, the poet, who said that there are some words oh, that are so... Some words that are so wounded, you can't use them anymore. 
And at times I felt that were the nice. word evangelical, that that, that word yeah. has been so wounded that I don't know how to use that. It was something that shaped yeah. me in my own formation growing up, but it's become so, so different in that in our culture, you have this reduction into what you believe is can be reduced down to some pith sayings. And so then it becomes something that you ingest or like a medallion you wear on your clothing. Um, and so that when when we engage, say, then with resident aliens, it seems like the it se that seems like a foreign text to us, because what religion is oh. to do is to adjust mm -hmm. us psychologically and also provide us with an evacuation plan at the end, right? Um, is is how uh, that gets reduced? Yeah, that's, yeah. Um, our ticket uh, out. Um, right, rather than our yeah. ticket in. <laughs> That's a good word. And, and in fact, we preachers probably ought to keep scanning our language for words that just don't work anymore. I remember Fred Craddock talking about, he said, I'm old enough to remember when celebration was a good word and it could be used to good effect. But then we started celebrating the fact that we could gather for worship. And then we celebrated the, that we had such a good choir. And then we celebrated the anthem and Poor celebration just died. It it just it 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 just we wrote it too hard and it collapsed. <laughs> and uh, I was telling a student the other day who was talking about the Wesleyan quadrilateral, and I said, "Well, I'm not sure that exists, but uh, but was talking about uh, theologizing from experience mm. using the Wesleyan quadrilateral." I said, "You know, experience used to be a good word. I mean it." But, but I said, whatever John Wesley meant by experience, it cannot be what you mean by it. I, I just, there's no way John Wesley could mean by experience your gender, cultural, uh, family situation growing up. Um, no, you know, he, he meant, a, a, you know, a, a kind of intimacy with God that, uh, that obliterates hmm. your experience in a, in a sense mm -hmm. and a radically change it but so I, I think there's a whole list of words christian wyman uh, could probably give us to say you know that that word now has been so stretched it just broke yeah and yeah so. another another thing you and i were talking uh, emailed about you you came out with a book in october preachers dare speaking for god yeah about boldness. Yeah. Uh, I haven't read the book yet, but preaching prophetically on navigating. I, I saw something interesting someone was talking about in these days. That, I, I will, I will, I'll sign your copy when we're at that steakhouse. All right, when the steakhouse, yeah. It's always <laughs> yeah, going to okay. come back around to the steakhouse. but It's going to come back around. It will. But, you know, somebody was saying that uh, we tend, in our culture, preachers have become prophetic to only one side of the partisan ideological spectrum. And that when you're only prophetic to one team, that's not prophetic, that's partisan. And so what, what's the word, the good yeah. word, as I think about mm. getting ready to read this book, is about how you talk about prophetic preaching, the, the political lenses that people are seeing things through, all that kind of mm. stuff. Well, I do, you know, your earlier observation that politics is ubiquitous, one of the sad things politics has done is it's, it's, it's acted as if you got the left or you got the right. Now, where do you find yourself on that? Right. And um, most people say, well, I'm, I'm more in the middle or, you know, uh, I think Christians maybe exist. The church is here to say uh, you don't, you're not fated to have to live out option A or option B. There can be an option C, uh, Christ. Uh, there can be uh uh, the the church and uh, maybe and, and I think at its best and resident aliens was trying to say hey let, let's stop thinking left and right um, and, and claiming righteousness for the left or righteousness for the right let's start wondering at what weird uh, views Christians have uh, I know I'm did a baptism uh, a while back, and you know, I I said uh, this little baby was brought up by its its mother, 
and his mother was a, a Spanish-speaking, uh, been an immigrant over the border uh, a few years ago. And uh, and I said, uh, uh, Manuela, uh, you know, the church doesn't believe in single-parent families. I, I grew up in a single-parent family myself. But I said, the church, but I said, the church doesn't believe in two-parent families. Uh, hmm. uh, we're baptizing another baby, and I said, you know, John and Mary are wonderful people, and I, I bet they're great parents, but they're not good enough to raise a Christian by themselves. So we got this weird little thing called baptism, hmm. and in baptism, we're going to adopt you and your child. And, and, uh, hmm. uh, because we got people in this church that know a lot more about parenting uh, than you do. And, uh, and so they're at your disposal now. And uh, I said, anybody's willing to volunteer for that, please stand up right now. <laughs> and, you know, the whole church stood up basically. And uh, uh, well, it was just a little moment when I just thought, boy, the, you know, okay, church, say something about the problem of the American family. Well, uh, we got a weird notion of family. It's called the family of God, the church. Well, I love exploring those things when people say, well, I can do this or I could do that. And you could say, no, you could do. Uh, I remember Gandhi stood before a South African judge and the judge said to him, uh, oh, Mr. Gandhi, I, I really respect so much of your, what you do, but you've broken the law and I'm a judge, and I don't, I don't have any other choice. Uh, I've got to send, send you to jail for what you've done. And Gandhi said, well, judge, you, you could resign. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's, I love those moments. And, and I love in a congregation when the church is busy thinking up a different alternative future than the one we thought we were fated to. Uh, th those churches, for instance, who said, we're going to do all we can to enable our oldest members to stay in their homes as long as they can. And we're going to try to provide some support that can maybe help them do that. You can send them to the nursing home. Uh, or you can leave them at home in an unsafe, difficult situation. Um, but the church comes along and says, well, maybe, maybe there's a, another alternative here. And uh, I, I think, again, the, the, the church doesn't have a social policy, as Harawas says. It is a, a social policy. Hmm. And just a little, a little thing like, all the people who come up to you and say, you know, I would do anything for my children. I would do anything for my family. Uh, I like what the great theologian Chris Rock says, hey, lady, it's your job. Of course you would, you know, <laughs> big deal. You love your children. Uh, well, the church goes so far as to say, uh, I'm going to take responsibility for somebody else's children. Yeah. Well, that ain't happening all over town. And that maybe is a radical demonstration when you say, well, gee, is this, I guess it's the government's problem. We got to get our government to do better. I love it when Christians step up and say, no, it's a God assigned yeah. responsibility for me. And, and I'll do that. You know, you know what you're talking about to me when I think about like in systems theory, organizational, it's, it's like the lack of creativity we're so event driven. Oh yeah. We're so event driven. We think we're proactive, but we're really not. We're just reactive. Mm -hmm. We're totally reactive about everything. Mm -hmm. And because we can't see the big picture. And so, uh, Singy talks about learning horizons. Our learning horizons are too close. And so we just focus on the event. And he said, the best you can do is just kind of gird yourself up for the next event. So you might be able to react optimally. But there's no proactiveness. There's no generativity. There's no yeah. creativity. And what you're talking about is like a third way. I always talk about both and, not either or. And the right. church, I don't think we've done a good yeah. job. It no. sounds like what you're talking about is casting a vision. We haven't done a good job for our people to say it's not just this or that. There's a third way that is the church, that is the body of Christ, 
that we got to call people. That's got to be an attractive vision, seems like for me. Yeah, yeah. I I think uh, absolutely. I I remember being in a Methodist one of my first Methodist conferences, and we were debating abortion, and there were people who were against abortion and people who were for abortion. Most people debating were men, uh, but. Uh, and we were kind of settling up sides. Okay, you can you can either be a conservative and be against it, or you can be a liberal and be for it in certain cases. And, and uh, a, a delegate stood up and said, uh, "I'd like to present a motion, uh, whereas we consider to be abor- abortion to be a sin against the lives that God gives us. Uh, therefore." Uh, we put the South Carolina United Methodist Conference and its financial resources, uh, all of its children's homes open and available for any young woman in our churches uh, who wishes to bring a baby to term uh, rather than uh, abort the baby. And that we are willing to uh, change our conference budget uh, according to the need as it's presented to us. And if I could get us, I'd like to speak to it. <laughs> she, uh, and I thought, yes. Right. Now that, right. Oh, and it, you know, I mean, like a, a question you can ask about any stand is how much is this going to cost you? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I generally don't sign petitions and, statements by professors and bishops and all I've I've done it on occasion, but, you know, I think that doesn't cost me anything. I am protected. I am safe. They they try to present me an award for suing the governor of Alabama and the legislature over their immigration laws. And, um, and I said, no, I, I, that, that cost me nothing. I got a bunch of angry letters, but I kind of enjoyed responding to people. Uh, but I said, I can show you a Methodist preacher. I can show you more than one Methodist preacher in a little out of the way country crossroads who has stood up and preached righteousness on immigration. Uh, and maybe, and he and his family may be paying a heavy price for it. Now, if you want to give the award to somebody, give it to them. Well, Well, so anyway, that I love that thinking about the church in the power of the Holy Spirit is just cause we're, we're just called to be more creative thinkers and what passes for creativity and organizational thinking in the rest of the world. Yeah. We're just so shaped by the world we live in. We've become, we've become in the world and of the world. How do we, how do we begin to reclaim then that, um, that sense of our own identity, not as right or left, but as this kind of, of the kingdom of God is among us. <clears throat> In, in a way that is deeply creative and has, it bears out a new imagination. Oh, I like that. Imagine, and I'd say that much of our sins against the Holy Spirit are just a failure to have our mind blown, yes. a failure of imagination. Hmm. And uh, the, um, I'm from the 60s, you wouldn't understand that phrase. I didn't inhale, but still. <laughs> Uh, the the um, uh, I, I think one we can preach and, and maybe think of the preaching think of our preaching as a time to uh, I love what Walter Brueggemann says that yeah. a biblical hermeneutics that we preachers should engage the biblical text with obedient playfulness mm. and um, uh, I, I like one, we should be, we should say now, be careful of this text because you may have to submit to it. You may find yourself allowing this text to take over your life and to get you to do things you wouldn't do without this text. Mm -hmm. At the same time, be playful about it. And um, uh, so we can preach. And I think also we preachers can ask God, for the insight to be able to see right in our own churches when the kingdom of God is breaking into the kingdoms of this world and, and point to it and affirm it and name it. And, um, 
uh, I remember as a young preacher, we had a funeral uh, for a woman who died uh, and her husband, they, they had met at the Arthur Murray dance studio. Uh, they loved to ballroom dance. Three months after they married, she was struck down by debilitating illness. Uh, he changed jobs so he could be there to care for her. The church mobilized and we helped him care for her. And um, when we had her funeral, I said, Victor, stand up. Now, Victor, uh, this church does so many things wrong. Uh, but Victor, today, even though we are in terrible grief, um, we're going to have to celebrate the fact that we, we did something right this time. Uh, one, we produced you. And uh, uh, two, you helped us stand up and find new meaning in our discipleships. Thank you. Well, Victor sort of, it, it, he, he was a humble person and he was sitting down and I said, Victor, stand back up. I said, Victor, look, I preach to this crowd every Sunday. I don't have that many successes to celebrate, Victor. <laughs> We're riding you, sir. So even, I said, even though it's at his funeral now, Victor, you can let me celebrate. I need this. So, uh, I, I, and, and maybe we preachers ought to pray for that, the kingdom breaking out among us and, and for the eyes to see it. Uh, mm. and, I know I led a little group from a church I was serving here in Durham over to the Moral Mondays demonstrations we had against mm -hmm. Republican legislature in North Carolina. And uh, and it was wonderful, you know, the smell of hemp in the air. And it was, you know, all these old people walking around uh, in, you know, looking like it was the 60s again. And I said, oh, wow, it just feels wonderful. And I was so proud of myself. And, thinking, all right, yeah, look at me. Uh, I'm here. I'm, I'm putting myself on the line here. Uh, and, uh, and I got some church members to do it with me. And, uh, so on the way home and the only people who would go with me were some, a set group of retired school teachers from congregation, which was interesting, hmm. but on the way back home, we turned on the radio and the North Carolina governor McCrory was saying, uh, you know, there wasn't anybody at that demonstration day, but a bunch of aging hippies. And I said, <laughs> uh, uh, said uh, 70% of the people in North Carolina support our policies. And one of the women said, 70%? Wow. And I said, oh, that's discouraging. And then she said, okay, preacher, that means that at least two-thirds of the people you preach to on Sunday morning are supportive of the governor and his policies. I said, yeah. And she said, do you really have enough time to come to this demonstration? It seemed like maybe your time would be better spent working on next Sunday's sermon. <laughs> <laughs> okay, old lady, get out of the car. And that's enough. And, um, but she was right. And so as Ephesians says, our job as preachers, pastors, is to equip the saints for the work of ministry mm. and um, help them discover God's unique, unusual ways of taking over the world. And, mm. you know, just say something political. Uh, okay, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. And the disciples then say, Jesus, <laughs> Do you know who you're talking to here? Remember, we're the guys that once the soldiers get here, we're leaving and checking out of this whole thing. And, um, and or, or somebody says, Jesus, okay, that, that's great. What's your plan B uh, for taking over the world? And Jesus says, I ain't got any other plan. Yeah, this yeah. is it. And so to catch a new sense of that could be beautiful. That's good. So in a way, I mean, Jesus goes Texas Hold'em on us, and part of it, part of our then, um, a part of the the pleasure we have in preaching and leading is to create and to help create and to articulate that imagination that it's not blue or red, it is it's it's this new imagination of the gospel that moves into the neighborhood and practical reality. Um, is that is that yes. part of it? Yeah, and. You know, uh, has God saddled us with an old decaying building? 
uh, okay, uh, how can that burden be seen as a gift uh, in our particular time and place? Uh, uh, and uh, yeah, I'm, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to dismiss unfaithfulness. I don't want to deny that the church can be so boring and so compromised. At the same time, I think you got to reckon with the fact, I love it where Paul is hammering on like the Corinthians and pointing out everything they're doing wrong and how they're so bad at being disciples. And then midway, Paul says, no, you're the body of Christ and members of it. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, 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 wait. Come on. And, 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 and yet that's part of the scandal of the gospel and uh, that God would entrust such responsibility and such a treasure uh, uh, to people like us. I remember the uh, young man, I show up at the chapel one morning and he's wandering around outside and he says, finally, you got here. And I said, it's eight 30. I'm what? Well, it was obvious he'd been out all night. He looked terrible. And he came in and he told me this story about how he had been ridiculed by his fraternity the night before because he didn't believe in sleeping with his date. And they had ridiculed him, calling him Mr. Christian. And, hey, Mr. Christian, if you want to know how to do that, we can show you how to do it. And and uh, he said, I just, I've never, these are people I call brother. And yet I've never experienced such hate. And they, they hated me. And I said, you know, the beautiful thing about this is, let's face it, you're not that great a Christian. And he said, I'm terrible. <laughs> and I said, you know nothing about the Bible because you're, a, you're an Episcopalian and never had the opportunity to know anything about the Bible. And he said, I know nothing. I know nothing. And I said, you know, you know about this, but if you'd had a course in church history, there was a day when, like, to be a martyr, to be a witness, like, you had to be willing to be eaten by lions or something, or you had to have translated the Bible into English, or you've had to do something heroic like that. I said, just one person walking around loose on the Duke campus saying, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I just tend not to have sex with people I don't know. Uh, that becomes this huge Christian witness. They're throwing rocks at you. They want to kill you. I said, that's just a mate. Rejoice. You are not far from the kingdom. And he said, and that's at one of those great, that's at one of those great Christian universities. That's right. Duke. (laughs) It's a Duke. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. He told me, he said, you know, I, I don't know why I waited for you this morning. You have the worst pastoral care of anybody. (laughs) That's awesome. It it depends on what you call care. Uh, but or pastor, uh, tough love. I love those, and, and I think I love those moments as a pastor when just ordinary, everyday Christians uh, just stumble into righteousness or and into witness, and which says I think we can do a better job of uh, of equipping them and and to keep telling them you're God's answer. <laughs> so. Well, I can't let you get out of here today without turning this to a very positive and wonderfully bright topic. What what do you see in your crystal ball for the United Methodist Church? Oh yeah. Uh I I, I don't know. I just don't. I mean, uh I would think we're going to have continued decline. Uh, dissolution. Uh, when I did my broadside against the last general conference, uh, condemning all of them on every side of the issue, um, it, it uh, a, a, a friend of mine who really knows a lot about the church said, you know, by the way, if there wasn't any Wesleyan Covenant Association, if people were not threatening to take their stuff and leave, 
we would still be dying. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, wow. West Bend Covenant Association is not going to take any more people out of the church than God has <laughs> in the past few years. Uh, I mean, look at me. I mean, <laughs> I'm nearly the average age of the average Methodist. And as you can see, I'm leaving. And um, so I'm, I'm trying to keep that in perspective. I'm also trying to say, you know, as a Christian, you, you come to these moments in life when you don't know whether you're at Good Friday, yeah. uh, death, hmm. in cross, destruction, or you are you at Easter Sunday? You, you know, you yeah. just, God only knows. And so, and I'm trying to, I, I'm, I'm haunted by the former student who wrote me when, uh, after general conference saying, uh, well, I know you're excited because you've spent much of your life throwing rocks at the establishment, uh, the organization of the Methodist church, uh, the bishops, the this, the that, or the other. Well, you're about to get your wish. <laughs> it's all being taken away. <laughs> uh, well, I, I don't know that I, I don't celebrate that. I find that very painful and sad. Um, on the other hand, you know, who, I don't know. Maybe God is saying, gosh, I'm, I'm sorry you were so wedded to the Board of Global Ministries. Uh, I actually only heard of it recently, and I'm not that big, much into it myself, but you may need to get over that. Or I'm thinking about the student who said to me, uh, does anybody go into the United Methodist Church ministry because of the Council of Bishops or General Conference? I don't think so. In fact, I think that kind of person would be scary. Uh, so if all that is being dismantled, it, you know, I'm, I know it means more to you than it means, you know, well, I thought he had a point there. And, and I am saying, I don't know what the future holds, but I do know, I do believe, I say this to seminarians, if, if your definition of ministry is hand-holding and ambulance chasing and soothing the anxieties of older adults my age, I think you're going to be in big trouble after COVID. Mm. I just don't mm. think that leadership will be needed. Yeah. What will be needed is, well, what you just were talking about earlier, uh, creativity, adaptability, uh, an ability to say, oh, that's over. Let's give it a good funeral. And then let's see what God's going to birth among us next. Um, let, let's move on. Let's, let's see this is a time to recover the core of the gospel. Amen. And maybe if people are giving up their faith in the organization and structure of the United Methodist Church and the way we did ministry, it's, I don't know if that's, if that's bad. Maybe, maybe they will recover the core of the faith. And, and so we'll see. Um, but I bet general conference is probably not the answer to anything. Uh, I don't think it ever has been. Uh, and I do think the beautiful thing is going to be places like Chapelwood, where once the pandemic's over, y'all will get back together and people will still have their differences and they will maybe argue and then they will all go to the table together. Amen. And I just think that's kind of what Jesus does. So. I like that. It's a good, it's a good place for us to wind it up. Well, Hey, <clears throat> glad to be with you. Guys. I, I really appreciate you and always enjoy being with you, hearing your stories and what, what's, what's next <laughs> on your, uh, on your radar as far as like anything you're working on projects, anything you're looking ahead for? Um, I'm finishing up, uh, a book, uh, a, a, a Christian ABCs, I've called it, and I'm picking, cherry picking uh, some Christian notions that that have meant a lot to me, and uh, and trying to sort of describe them, define them, enjoy them uh, in my own particular way, and 
so I, I'm kind of doing that and uh, trying to, yeah. So, but but I'm grateful uh, for the podcast and grateful for the opportunity to have uh, this. Look forward to tonight. I'm going to be online with a couple of my buddies talking about preaching Good. and preachers there, and uh, and I am enjoying hearing from clergy about what they're going through during this particular time. And a lot of that with former students and others. And uh, I don't know where we'll be in the future. I do know, as John Wesley said with his last breath, the best of all, God is with us. So we'll see. That's a great word. Well, thank you, Will. We'll talk to you soon. Love to talk to you again. All right, we will. All right, bye-bye. Well, did you learn anything? I like him. Oh yeah, everybody. I've never talked to him. Like never I've have. never been in a conversation with him. He just Man, I tell you that's that's sort of the the core and the center of the way that I think about uh the kind of preacher I want to be, the kind of church I want us to be is that that third way, the Jesus way, the both end. It's like it's not just this or that. And that's so much, yes. you know, that polarity or that polarization in our in our society and in our culture and i think politics is just one thing that fits into that you know there's so many others yeah but man to just recast creativity about what it means to be the church let's just be the church in the midst of the culture and not let us try to uh let you know seed to the 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 culture or the culture kind of seed to the church let's just do what we do yeah the third way the mm-hmm. middle path, whatever you were, you were talking about. I think that's... It's the Jesus way. Yeah. I love that when he was he was talking about when Paul was just kind of dressing down the church in Corinthians and then reminds them, remember that you're the body of Christ. Oh, yeah. You know, I think, oh, yeah, that's right. We just, part of our job as pastors is just remind people who they are. Oh, yeah. You know, remind I mean, them. He was wearing them out. He's yeah. like, you yeah. know, I expect you to be mature. But you're like a bunch of children still drinking milk, not on meat. So right. since you can't get your act together, I guess I'll just feed you milk. Right. It's exactly what he says right, in chapter right. 3. And then later he's like, you're the body of Christ, and each one a member of it. It's just it. like raising kids. Yeah. Remember who you are. Remember. I think that's, that's, the, that's the core. There's a bigger narrative that we're born into, right? Yeah. Well, this was fun. I'm John Stevens. And I'm Matt Russell. And this is Pod Have Mercy.